The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for um, a new year. Lord, thank you for uh, your grace and your kindness that brought us to this place this morning. Um, Lord, as we open your word, as we come to meet with you, God, give us um, understanding. Holy Spirit, speak clearly to us. Uh, Lord, do what you need to do in this place. Um, convict us of sin where we need conviction, Lord. Um, give us the courage and the clarity uh, to know uh, what to do about those things in our lives that aren't pleasing to you. Give us the, uh, the courage to, to come to you and trust your goodness and your faithfulness as we um, ask for your forgiveness. Give us the clarity to know um, how, to, uh, how to make a change in our lives. Um, but Lord, just accomplish much for your fame and our joy this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, I am very, very happy to be with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Anybody? All right, fantastic. Happy New Year. We had a, a great time uh, on New Year's Eve. We had a lock-in uh, with our students, and uh, there aren't too many things in, on this planet that I hate more than lock-ins, uh, but we have one every year. Uh, I don't just feel like staying up late. That's not my thing. Um, I just, I'm not that, that, that guy. Like, the whole next day, I'm just a zombie, but we had a really great time. We had um, 100 kids, uh, 100 students come up here, and uh, we just had a blast and ran around, and, and we're, we're just nuts all night, and it was fantastic. Um, but you know, uh, what I used to do on New Year's Eve was um, like Angela and I would like, kind of get dressed up, like maybe we go to a, a friend's party or we'd go out or something. We have a good time, right? Like like grownups. And uh, now like I was here all night and Angela was at home with the kids and uh, and she even pulled a little trick on them, like did a little countdown for the new year, like a couple, uh, a couple hours early. But probably like over the Pacific Ocean, it was uh, New Year at that point. So anyway, but uh, and so you know we used to like get dressed up and all that and and so we did kind of do that Friday like we kind of did our our our, our New Year's thing on Friday we had a, a wedding rehearsal and so we got to go to a really nice dinner and so like like we got all dressed up and stuff and I remember coming home and and Angela like Angela got like you know just all she just came in in this new dress and I was just like blown away and I was like oh, that's an incredible dress and she's like yeah but wait till I tell you how much it it costs and so she. She, she told me, and it didn't reduce how good she looked in it, but my response kind of changed. I really didn't think about how she looked anymore. I thought, what were you thinking, right? Like, like what happened? And, and she said, you know, I, it was the weirdest thing. She said, I was like, like walking by the store, and I saw the dress in the, the window, and the next thing I knew, I was trying it on. And, and she said, it was, like, it was like, like Satan was whispering in my ear the whole time, you look great in this dress. And so, you know, I, I kicked into pastor mode, you know, and I, I said, well, you know what? When Satan tempts me like that, I always respond by saying, Satan, get behind me, you know. And, and she said, well, I did that. But then he said, you, it looks great from here, too. And so she got it anyway. And so, I don't know. Something's never changed. So, like, 
last, last Sunday, we looked forward to 2015, and we talked about living a Jesus-centered life, and, and so we're, 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 looking, we're also looking forward today, like, like now we're here, now it's, it's 2015, and I was asking the Lord um, in the past few months, like leading up to this Sunday, I was going, Lord, we've got a, a new year, we've got a fresh start uh, uh, coming up, what do you want? Like, like, what would be the most useful, the most helpful? Would you please, like, like, like let me understand that, give me, give me some sort of clarity there, what direction do you want us to go? What would be most helpful? And, uh, and here's where we are today. And this is where I think the, the Lord led me. And, and this is where we're going to be. We're starting a new series today called The, Dis- the Disciplines of a Disciple. The Disciplines of a Disciple. And we're going to be here for the next couple of months talking about this. And I think it'll be incredibly helpful. Just in the, in the past few months leading up to today, uh, the Lord brought all kinds of people in my path from our congregation. You people sitting out there coming up to me and talking about different things. And it just kept going back to, wow, if I, I really wish, I really wish I could address this. I really wish we'd address that. And, and so that's where we are. We're, we're talking about the disciplines of a disciple. And what is a disciple? And you might say, well, that's simple. I, I know exactly what a disciple is. But you know, disciple is a, it's a churchy word, right? Like, like it might be some sort of Christianese that, that you might say disciple means this to you and it might mean something else to somebody else. So let's get on the same page about what a disciple is um, and not just assume we all know what it is. The standard definition of disciple is somebody who adheres to the teachings of another, right? So it's a follower, it's a learner of somebody. It refers to someone who, who takes up the ways of someone else, right? That's a disciple. And we don't just use it like spiritually. Like if you were, uh, maybe you were watching sports and there was a, a college quarterback who played just like Peyton Manning. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he played great college football, but he, he couldn't beat Memphis. But you know what I'm talking about? Like he was, he was just like him. And when they interviewed him, they said, you know what, uh, how did you get your playing style? And he said, you know, I watch Peyton Manning. Everything he does, I do, right? So I, I drive a, a Buick. I eat Papa John's. Like I do everything that Peyton Manning does. Thank you. Somebody watches TV. Uh, I do everything that Peyton Manning does. And, and you would say what? They're a disciple of Peyton Manning. Maybe it's even in business we use that that terminology. Maybe you learn a management style from a certain manager and and so so you get promoted and, and you act just like that person, you know, you do everything that they would do. And someone would say, you're a, a disciple of that manager, right? And so it's something we can understand. We can wrap our head around a disciple. A disciple is simply somebody who takes up the ways of someone else. So what does a disciple of Jesus look like? Well, thankfully, we don't have to argue about that. We don't have to uh, uh, just, just speculate on that. Jesus made it really clear. Would you turn to Luke chapter 14 with me? Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, Luke chapter 14. I know Brother John said uh, if you're trying to get a Bible through an internet connection or whatever, you're not going to be able to do that, but uh, there should be some under your chairs. You can grab those there, or maybe uh, you have the Bible app downloaded because you're you're that much of a Christian, right? Like you're a super Christian. I download it. So anyway, whatever you got to use, get to Luke chapter 14 with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 25. Ready? All right. Now, Great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus speaking, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and and uh, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we see three descriptors of a disciple here. Let's run through these real quick, what Jesus has given us. The, the first descriptor of a disciple of Jesus, they, they love Jesus more, right? A disciple loves Jesus more. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hate is a Semitic expression for loving less. You see it used in Genesis chapter 29. You see it in Deuteronomy 21, all right? So in our modern terminology, the way we would use hate, you wouldn't say that you love this thing less, you're devoted to this thing less than this. You wouldn't say, I hate it, right? You just say, I love it less, but but not, not so here. So Jesus is saying not to hate your family, all right? I know some teenagers back there were like, finally. But no, that's not what that means. Jesus is saying to a disciple, their allegiance and affection is with me first, is with me first. This might not sound like such a big deal to us now. Like I, maybe we're familiar with the scripture. Maybe we've heard it a bunch of times. And so it might not seem that crazy for Jesus to say that, but think about the context. Matthew nineteen twenty nine. people are losing their families because of their allegiance to Jesus. They're are, they're being disowned. There are people walking away from them. And so Jesus is saying, it might come to that, but a disciple sticks with me. A disciple is devoted to me first. And by the way, he also has a promise for those who lose relationships for him. He says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal Life And so, you know what, I, I've never had someone come up to me and say, oh, you're a Christian? Goodbye, right? Like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want a relationship with you. I, I've never had someone cut me out of their life because of that reason that I know of. However, I definitely had relationships who have competed with my obedience to God. You know what I'm talking about? I've had those relationships. I've had these close friendships that, you know what, like their influence and being around them, they didn't care about the Lord. And, you know, uh, I, I, they, them wanting me to do what they did competed with me being obedient to God. I knew that doing what they wanted me to do was not going to make the Lord happy. And so I had to walk away from some of those relationships. I've heard of parents losing relationships with their children because the parents wouldn't do the hateful thing, which is to rejoice with wrongdoing. That's because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing. But a child choosing a, 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 a way of life or choosing a, uh, to make a decision or something that that is harmful to them, that that doesn't make the Lord happy, and wanting the parents to endorse that, uh, uh, to to in, in calling that endorsement acceptance, parents have lost their relationships with their children because they said, "I can't. That's not that's not good for you. That's not okay. That's not pleasing to the Lord. I can't endorse that. I love you and I accept you, but I can't endorse that." And kids saying, "Well, then I don't want anything to do with you." And so that's absolutely happened. I've certainly seen people fall madly in love with other people who don't follow the Lord and have to make 
make a decision to break their own heart to get out of that relationship to make, uh, to, to make the choice to honor God mainly. And of course, we've all had the times. It says that, that you even have to hate your own self, meaning that, that you're devoted to what the Lord wants mainly and not what you want mainly. We've all had these opportunities where we know what God wants us to do and what he's called us to do is in direct conflict of what we want to do. But a disciple loves Jesus more. A disciple says, you know what? Your, my relationship with you is paramount, right? It is of most importance. A disciple loves Jesus more. The second thing about a disciple we see here is you bear your cross and follow Jesus. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So bear your own cross. In, in Mark 8, um, 34, I, I, Jesus says this in another way that might make this a little bit clearer for us. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So to bear your cross is connected to self-denial. It's connected to saying that, you know what? What I want mainly is not as important as what God wants mainly. So self-denial is about letting go of self-determination, right? That's what self-denial is about. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Self-denial is about letting go of self-determination. And that's so stinking hard in our culture. Why? Because we fight our whole lives to have self-determination, don't we? Right? We fight our whole lives to make our own decisions. I mean, think about it. With my children now, like like the oldest I have is four years old. And so from four years old down, they're always trying trying to fight to make their own decisions, to do things their way, right? Whether it's not wanting to eat what we put them down, what we put in front of them, whether it's not wanting to pick up their toys when they're finished, right? Whether it's, you know what, I want to just, I need to punch my sister in the face right now. Like they want to do whatever they want to do, right? And that doesn't change, you know? So so, so kids might do that, like little kids with what they eat. Uh, when you move on into a teenager in the teenage life, right, where you just want to determine everything about your life. And then as you move on and you get a career, what do you do? You work hard in that career. Why? So you can eventually get to a place where you're making the decisions, right? Where you can kind of determine what your job is going to be like, the demands that will be on you. But a disciple lets go of self-determination. A disciple says, Jesus, where you go, I will go. And that's where the come after me part comes in. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, whoever says he abides in him, that's Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, right? So that's the disciple who says, I don't determine my own steps anymore. That's not for me to do. That's for the Lord to do, right? Uh, people, uh, people in church have heard this a lot growing up, and it used to get on my nerves. Like people would say something like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to lunch with so-and-so, and then they tag on, Lord willing. And I used to get on my nerves so bad because I would think like, of course, Lord willing, right? Like, why do we keep saying that? But, but I've grown to love that. And, and I've grown to every time I hear that in a conversation, I'm thankful that I hear that when someone says, you know, I, I'd really like to, uh, I'd like to do this, but you know, Lord, Lord willing. And they tag that on. And, and, and it's not a throwaway phrase. Like, I think it's a reminder that, you know what? I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't, I don't determine my own future anymore. Self-determination is not for me anymore, right? I'm into self-denial now. Now, that's my thing, right? I'm following Jesus, and I love that. A disciple does that. And, and thirdly and lastly, a disciple counts the cost and gives everything. Go back to verse 28. 
For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Skip to 31. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So he gives us this picture of building a tower and going to war. These are high consequence uh, uh, decisions, right? They are, aren't they? Like building a tower. You need to make sure that you have enough money to build this tower because otherwise you might leverage everything that you have trying to build this thing. It won't happen. And then not only will you have nothing, but you'll look like a fool in the same time. And then, of course, uh, uh, going to war, you better know if you can win or not because otherwise you're going to lose your kingdom and probably your life. And, and so in the same way, Jesus is putting on the same, the, 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 the same plane here, being a disciple of Jesus. It's not a... a low consequence decision. Now in our culture, like we treat a lot of low consequence decisions as super high consequence decisions, right? We, th- we treat these decisions that we think like, oh, this is going to be the rest of my life. And it's really not that big a deal. Like I think one that comes to mind uh, we've got, we've started the second semester of the school year. And so we already have started to get invitations to graduations. And, uh, and, and that's, that's a, a bittersweet thing. You know what I mean? With some students, it's sweeter than others, but you know what I'm talking about? Like we're starting to get that and, and they're looking forward to college. And as they look forward to college, uh, that's, that's one of the things that, that man, they're just, uh, when you have conversations with students about it, like they are, a lot of them are just super stressed out. They're thinking if I go to the, the wrong school, then I, I won't get the right job and I'll end up living in a van down by the river. And I, and I want to tell them like, that's not true. Like, no, that's not true. Like you can excel anywhere. Just go wherever, wherever you can go for the least amount of money, go wherever and just work really hard. Right. And just excel wherever you are. But that's, a, that's a, uh, that really is a low consequence decision that we've elevated. Right. Or, or, or maybe I'm doing a wedding after the, uh, after a church today. And, and, and so it reminded me of, of when Angela was on the hunt for that perfect wedding dress. Right. And, and that was a really high consequence thing, you know, and she spent days and days and she looked at magazines and all that stuff. And, 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 and my, my in-laws, I don't know how much, uh, they, they spent on that thing, but, but I'm assuming it was, it was uh, quite a bit, right? Like it, it looked very, very nice. Well done. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like if Angela had walked up to the altar in a burlap sack, would you think I would have cared? No, like she actually agreed to marry me. You know, like that's important. Like I was just, I was just wondering, is she going to back out? When is that going to happen? Yeah, are the doors locked from the outside? You know, like that's what's going through my head. It doesn't matter what she wore, right? Like she's going to look beautiful either way. It really doesn't matter. That's how you get brownie points. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't. But Jesus puts this decision, he says, this is not a low consequence decision. And a disciple realizes that. A disciple realizes that this is the most important, that everything you have hangs in the balance with this decision of being a disciple of Jesus or not. Everything, your, your reputation, right? Building that tower, your reputation, everything that you own, again, building that tower, your very life, going to war, all of that, everything hangs on this. And unfortunately, we've treated following Jesus as a low consequence decision, and it's not. But a true disciple realizes that following Jesus is a high consequence decision and determines that Jesus is worth it all. A true disciple says, you know what? This is going to cost me everything and he's completely worth it. So being a disciple, if we got to sum it up, what's it about? It's about being all in. 
right? It's all in. You know, it's not this casual Christianity. It's not a, a nominal believer. It's I am all in. That's what being a disciple is. And, and I think it's a very, it's a very New Year's type idea, you know, because cause New Year's, what do we say? We say like, at, like out with the old and in with the new, right? Like that's kind of what you do. You, you, you look at the things in your life that, that you say, you know what, that, that's gone and now it's time for a fresh start. It's time for something new and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, change my hair. I'm going to change my routines. I'm going to change my whatever it is like that. That's a New Year's thing. But, but you know, that's really, that's, that's what being a disciple is. Like, like every single day, that's what being a disciple is. It's out with the old and in with the new. Second Corinthians, 517 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so being a disciple of Jesus is adhering to this new way of life that he is, he is a perfect example of. And it's, it's rejecting, it's putting away the old self. It's putting away the things that, that don't adhere to the example of Jesus. It's an active process that we participate in. And I, I want to look at that real quick. Can you turn to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. Um, if you're turning with, just go right for a little bit. You'll see it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. It says, Don't lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So it says, Put off the old self. So put away these old things. That's what a disciple does. The disciple says, you know what? I'm new. I have a new way to live following Jesus' example. I'm going to put away these old things. I'm going to put away these things that didn't honor the Lord. But what does the old self look like? Well, you still in Colossians? Go up and look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you, you too once walked, and when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So being a disciple of Jesus is recognizing these attitudes and these actions and behaviors as opposite of Jesus' example and working to eliminate them from our lives. But it's not just that. Put on the old self, put away the old self, and put on what? The new self. So also being a disciple is recognizing the things that are pleasing to God and line up with the example of Jesus and emulating those things in our lives. And you say, what good things? Like, like what, what does a disciple look like? Like, how are we doing that? We'll look there in verse 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a big deal, right? 
what God's called us to and being a disciple, putting off the old self and, and putting on the new. This is a, a big, big undertaking, right? I mean, look at that first list, right? Like we're supposed to eliminate these things. Think about your life just last week. Did, did lust show up? Did anger show up? Did slander? Did, did gossip, right? Did those things show up at all? Because we're supposed to eliminate those things from our lives. Look at that second list. Think about last week again. Would you have been described last week as kind and humble? and patient and forgiving and thankful, right? Did you encourage somebody with the word of God this past week? But as a disciple, I'm supposed to walk in the same way which he walked. So I will have to see that I'm, I put off the old self and put on the new, right? How do we even begin to do that? We're supposed to be that. We understand that we're disciples of Jesus. And so that's what it's about. I, I want to be just like him. I have to walk in the same way that he did. So that means I need to eliminate these old things from my life, these things that are not pleasing to him, that he doesn't exemplify and I need to put on the new self. How do I even begin to do that? Look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So this new self is being renewed. In other words, when we come to Christ, it says we're a new creation. It doesn't say we, we're becoming a new creation. It says we are a new creation. But it's saying that the new creation must be renewed, meaning it's not a finished product. It means that when we receive it at conversion, it's a process that we're doing. We're growing to be more like Jesus. So that renewal is a process. And we also see here in verse 10 that the goal of this renewal, of being a new creation, the goal of that is to be a disciple because it is conformity to Jesus. What does it say there? After the image, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. And Colossians 1, if you, if you flip back to the first chapter, tells us who's the creator and who is it? Jesus, according to Colossians 1. So the, so the goal is to put off the old self, to kill sin, to put on the new self, and, and to grow in the right behavior and the things that make the Lord happy and the things that Jesus is our example of to be more and more like Jesus. So what is the mechanism then for renewal? In other words, how do we put off the old self and put on the new self more and more? Look at verse 10 again. In knowledge after the image of its creator. In knowledge. So the more we know God, the deeper our relationship is with Jesus, the more our new self is conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Are you with me on that? So relational intimacy with Jesus equals life change, right? The closer we get to Jesus, the more we will put off the old self and the more we will be transformed into the new self. So it means the, the closer we are with Jesus, the, the more relational intimacy we experience with Jesus, the more we know about him, the more we know him, the more sin will be conquered and you'll grow to be more like him and you'll grow in patience and you'll grow in kindness and you'll grow in humility and meekness and forgiveness and thankfulness and praise and unity with other believers, right? So, so great, relational unity, that's fantastic. How do we how do we grow in this knowledge? How do we grow closer to Jesus? How are we transformed? Like, like what, what can we do about it? You know what I'm talking about? How, do, how does this happen? Here's how it happens. 
Grace is how it happens. Grace upon grace. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's God who does the work in us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, By the grace of God, I am what I am. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Or Paul says in Colossians 1, 29, I toil, struggling with all his his energy, Jesus's energy, that he powerfully works within me. So it's all God. So the will, the energy, the work to put off the old self, to kill sin, to grow this new self in us, it's all God's doing. So what can we do about it? Well, real quick, this kind of be weird. Sam, are you with me back there? A sound guy back there? Do you know how to turn these lights off in here? Can you just turn them down? Can we just turn all the, can we turn the lights down? Oh, all right. Cool, cool. Can you turn them on? Can you turn them back on? It's not a trick. Don't worry, it's not a trick. Fantastic. Now, what Sam just did was he raised a little slider. That's it. Did Sam cause the electricity to come in? No, he can't do that. He He can raise a slider. But it's up to someone else to supply the electricity, which ultimately supplied the electricity to bring these lights up. Sam did the slider. Sam, Sam flipped the switch. If I were to go into a bathroom right now and turn on a faucet and have the water come out, did I make the water come out? No. I turn on the faucet, and thankfully, someone else made sure there was water there, and it brought the water out. Someone else had to do the rest in the same way. I can't force relational intimacy with Jesus. I can't force his grace to strengthen me and to mortify my sin and to foster righteousness, but I can routinely put myself on these revealed paths of grace. I can put myself in a place where his grace has been revealed to show up. Does that make sense? Are you with me with that? David Mathis said, his grace is essential for our spiritual lives, but we can't control the supply. We can't make the grace flow, but God has given us circuits to connect and pipes to open in case it's there. We call these pipes, we call these circuits, we call these these switches, we call these places spiritual disciplines. That's what we call them. Spiritual disciplines, they they don't make the grace flow, but they put you right on the path of grace. I'll give you an example. Zacchaeus, you, you might know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, I believe, was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? So Zacchaeus uh, wanted Jesus, right? He wanted to, to know Jesus, but Zacchaeus couldn't force Jesus to, to, to invite himself to Zacchaeus' home. He couldn't force Jesus into his life. He couldn't force any of that. But you know what Zacchaeus could do? He could get himself as close to the path that grace was coming down as possible. Another example is um, Bartimaeus, a a blind beggar. He couldn't force Jesus to to give him the grace to see again, but you know what he could do? He could be on that path where the grace of God in Jesus would be walking straight towards him. Does that make sense? Don uh, Whitney wrote in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, think of the spiritual disciplines as a way we can place ourselves in the path of God's grace and seek him as Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus placed themselves in Jesus' path and sought him. 
So these are the things we'll be examining over the next couple of months together. We're going to be looking at the switches and, and, and the faucets, if you will, the places where God regularly stands ready to send his transformative grace into our lives. And that's why we practice spiritual disciplines. Again, I can't force his grace to flow. I have no power over that. But I can put myself in places where he regularly shows up, where he regularly uh, uh, forces his grace and and, and gives his grace um, into my life. So that's, what, that's why spiritual disciplines matter. You want to be a disciple? You want to put off the old self? You want to put on the new self? Then you need God's grace. And, and we can't make it happen. We can't conjure it up. But we can be there where God will supply it. But before we get there next week, I want to deal with some misconceptions about spiritual disciplines because I wonder if one of the reasons why we don't practice them regularly is because maybe we don't understand them. Maybe we've had misconceptions and so, so you know, we, the, they have failed our idea of what they should be and, and so maybe we don't value them as we should. So can I give you three? Can we just, I just want to talk about three real quick misconceptions that, that deal with spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, number one, are not formulaic. They are not formulaic. And what I mean by by that is they're not A plus B equals C. You get my point? You know, if you add two plus two, it will always equal what? Four. You know what I'm talking about? Unless it's like cupcakes, because then I'm, I'm eating those cupcakes, right? It'll equal zero. But you get my point. Two plus two equals four, and that's a formula. I know that if I put this here, this will happen. You know what I mean? And, and so we, we understand that, and, and we, even, we even put those in our relationships. Sometimes our relationships can become so routine that I know if I do this and do this, then this will happen, right? Like growing up, for example, I have a, a twin brother, and, uh, and he has a really um, rare disease. Uh, I wish you'd pray for him. Uh, he's allergic to work. And so um, when we were growing up, we, w- we lived on a corner lot. And, and our deal was on the, on the weekends, we had to mow it. Um, I would mow the front, he'd mow the back, or vice versa, right? And we, we would switch it. Well, Drew figured out a formula with my dad. And here was the formula. Don't do anything for X amount of time and you'll make him so mad that he'll make Grant do it, right? And so that was his formula, and it worked, right? That, that was, it, it absolutely worked. I saw, I saw rakes broken. I saw all kinds of things happen, and the end result was the same. Grant had to do it, you know? And so it worked. And in our relationships, we do that. Like, we, we figure out formulas. And so maybe we think the same thing with God, that, you know what? If I do these spiritual disciplines, if I, if I pray, if I read my Bible, if I fast, if I go to church, if I give my money, whatever it is, if I do these, then I'll have the result that I want. And that's a problem, because that leads us to several things. When we think that way, it leads us, number one, to just plain selfishness. Your, your focus becomes what? Your focus becomes making the formula happen so that you can get your result. So you can get the result that you want. So it's not about making God happy. It's about manipulating him to make you happy. We see kind of an example of that in Acts chapter 8. There's a a magician, Simon, um, who is following the disciples and and so he sees Peter laying his hands on people and praying and they received the Holy Spirit. And he says, man, I want that, right? And so he offers him money for it and for that ability. And here's what Peter says back to him. 
May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, right? That's like, that's a thousand your mama jokes together. Like that's big time. Peter's upset. But why is he so upset? Simon's intent was wrong. Simon's intent was not to to see the Lord happy, to experience a relationship with him. It was, hey, this is another formula to get what I need. And and so sometimes we treat spiritual disciplines that way. And if I figure out a formula that gets God to do what I want him to do, then guess what? It's no longer about making him happy. It's about manipulation and it's about me and and it's not about a relationship with him anymore. It also leads us to to guilt, the, the other extreme. You know, what happens if you follow the formula and it doesn't work? What starts to happen? You start to beat yourself up and you start to say, did I not pray hard enough? Am I not good enough? Does God not love me as much? Did I not memorize enough scripture? Did I not do this right or do this right? And it reminds me in John chapter nine, verse two, um, Jesus sees this, this man who's blind and his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's been born blind? What's their thinking? Their thinking is there's a formula here that's messed up because this guy can't see. So obviously he can't see because the formula wasn't met. So you have these two extremes, right? You have self-glorification, right? A misunderstanding of self-glorification. Then you have self-degradation, right? It's that, you know what, I followed the formula and it didn't work. There's something wrong with me. Or, hey, I'm following the formula. It should be working. Give me, give me, give me. You got both of these. And they're both a form of pride because they're both a focus on you and not a focus on the Lord. And realizing that these spiritual disciplines are all about grace is so freeing and it's so God-honoring because, you know what, it puts me in a place of uh, I'm not trying to get him to do anything for me anymore. I'm just trying to be close to him because I realize I desperately need him. If I follow a formula, I don't need him. I can just follow the formula. But realizing that it's not that, that it's all about grace, makes me all the more desperate and I just wanna be close to him. So what's the result? I get close to him. The second thing, spiritual disciplines are not the goal. They're a means to an end. So when you believe that they're the goal, right? That you know what, doing this, done, I've got it. I've got the goal, I got what I wanted. You have some other problems. One, they can become, they can be reduced to intellectual exercises. When I was in seminary, I had a friend of mine who, uh, not only we go to seminary together, but we work together. And uh, man, he was tough to talk to. That guy, he, every time he learned something new, some new theological idea or whatever, um, he just wanted to talk about it. And mainly he wanted to argue about it. And that was like, that was it. And it drove me absolutely nuts to the point where like, we literally worked at a church together. The point where like, if he started talking about Jesus, I would be like, where's it? Hang on. I don't want to talk about Jesus anymore, right? Like, I'm, I just don't want to talk about it with you because he's going to argue. And I don't know, you're going to say he had like 11 toes or something and you want to argue with me about that and I don't want to argue about it. It doesn't matter, let's move on. And so uh, after I left seminary, I didn't talk to him for a while. I, I was going through my phone, you ever do that? You go through your phone looking for people to delete from your life. And uh, I saw his name and so I called him just to check up on him, see what was going on. And and uh, he had left seminary. He didn't complete seminary. And then um, he wasn't in church anywhere. And, and he said, in fact, I'm not reading my Bible anymore at all. And I don't really know what I believe about Jesus anymore. A real 
paradigm shift, it, it seemed. And so it broke my heart. And, um, but thankfully, the next time I ran into him, it was a completely different story. Next time I ran into him, he was back in church. He was volunteering in a church somewhere. Um, and and he, he loved the Lord, was dedicated to the Lord, leading his family really well. Just an incredible change. And I asked him, I said, you know, what happened? What happened there? How did you go from, from, from this to this to this? What was going on? And here's what he said. He said, you know, like reading my Bible um, became, it, my, my Bible became a textbook instead of like bread. Like, like it didn't sustain me. It didn't, it wasn't something I was getting so that I could be closer to the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. I wasn't mining it for any sort of treasure that would lead me to a great, a deeper joy in the Lord. I was mining it for more, for more knowledge so that I could know more than anybody else. I was mining it so that I could argue better. You, you get my point? It became a, a textbook to him. And that reminds me of, of Jesus' visit to Nicodemus, a Pharisee and, and ruler of the Jews. And Jesus is talking to him about being born again, and, and he's just not getting it. And Jesus said to him, are you not uh, uh, the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things, right? And so, again, Nicodemus, he knew the Torah probably better than, than most people, and he knew God's law, and yet he didn't receive God's own testimony about himself through his son. He missed it. So when we believe that spiritual disciplines are are the end, right? Like this is the goal. They can be reduced to an intellectual exercise rather than an incredible means of grace to know God more, right? Um, they can also be reduced to an, uh, an item on your checklist, right? Anybody else like that? Anybody task-oriented? Are you a task-oriented person, right? I, um, I love to-do lists. Like that's my thing. Like I get really stressed out. My, when I lay down to go to sleep at night, it takes me a long time. My brain is just like running and running and running. And, uh, and so I'm trying to like get it to slow down. And anytime like a task pops in my mind, like, oh, you need to do this, I will not be able to sleep unless I get my phone out and I put it on my to-do list, right? Like I gotta get it out of my head. And I've got a thousand different to-do lists and I love checking them off. Like that's the greatest feeling ever. You know what I mean? When you got, you know when you got a scratch in the middle of your back and you can't reach it and then someone scratches it for you that, oh yeah, same thing. When I can do a to-do list item, that's the same thing. I, it's, it's, it makes people feel weird, but same thing for me. Like I just, oh, there we go. Checked it off. That's what I'm talking about. And so, you know, I, I'm constantly tempted to treat spiritual disciplines the exact same way. You know, like, like, okay, I read my Bible. I have no idea. I'm not going to meditate on it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm, I can't really tell you what I read, but I read it. Check. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or you know, I, I came to church. I'm not going to do anything about the sermon I heard, but I did hear it. Check. You, you get my point. And, and, and what, what happens? Well, well, sometimes you get God because he's incredibly gracious and kind. He still shows up in the middle of us being knuckleheads. But most of the time you get what you wanted. You get your check mark and you don't get God because you didn't want that. You just wanted to check it off your list. So spiritual disciplines aren't the end. They're a means to the end of experiencing the grace of God. So when you practice them, keep that in mind. Keep the real end in mind. When you go to prayer, no, I'm talking to the sovereign God of the universe. I'm, I'm acknowledging his greatness and I'm lining up my heart with what he wants. Keep that in mind. When you open his word, I am looking at the revealed will of God in front of him, holding it in my hands. Think about that. Think about the true end in mind. And lastly, spiritual disciplines are not always easy. And I know that that might seem like a no-brainer, but I mean, think about it. Like you think about prayer and reading your Bible and like going to church. I got it. Check. Done. Right. 
But what are spiritual disciplines? They are a purposeful disruption of the natural to bring you to the supernatural. That's what they are. A purposeful disruption of the natural to bring you to the supernatural. They are by design intrusive and disruptive. If you weren't intentional about spending time in prayer, would you pray? Probably not. If you weren't intentional about studying the word, would you study the word of God? Probably not. They are intentional disruptions in our lives to direct us the direction we want to go. And what do disruptions do? They cause discomfort and they're difficult at times, right? Like, for example, um, I went snowboarding one time in college, like the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And I absolutely loved it. However, I was uncomfortable the entire time. I'd never been on a ski lift before. And I was on a ski lift with a bunch of people who had been skiing a ton. Maybe you're those type of people, right? And they're just like relaxed and they didn't pull the lap bar down. And so the whole way up, I'm just like, I'm gonna die on this mountain. I'm gonna fall right off of this thing. I'm gonna die right here on this mountain. When we're in the class, I am the idiot who like cannot get it. Like the Instructor's holding up the class because he's like, this dum-dum can't understand how to get down the mountain. I can roll down the mountain, but I couldn't do it on my board. But you know, eventually I caught the hang of it. But you know what? Even though it, I, 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 it got easier, there were still more obstacles to overcome. I could go to a more difficult slope. I could try a different maneuver that's more difficult. And so with spiritual disciplines, it will always make you uncomfortable at times. There will always be difficulties there. There will certain parts of it will get easier, but there will always be difficulties because you'll always have an enemy trying to steal your joy. And what do we do when we're tempted with things that are difficult? We're tempted to quit. We're tempted to say, I give up. Well, the same time I went snowboarding, I didn't tell you that I also brought a friend and that friend happened to be Angela. And in the class, don't worry, I asked her permission to tell this. In the class, she was excellent. Like in the class, she was just like right down the mountain. I think it was because the instructor gave her more attention than everybody else because she's beautiful and that bothered me and I was ready to throw him off the mountain, but she was really great. But then once we got on the open mountain, she forgot everything. It was like we ate lunch and she ate an, like an amnesia sandwich and she could not remember how to get down the mountain. And so literally like we get off the slope and she just falls. And I was like, all right, get up. And she's like, okay, and falls and falls and falls. And so like after like 10 times of falling, she quits, like quits. We're at the top of the mountain. And she goes, I'm done. And I was like, no, what, what do you mean you're done? Like, you want to take a break? And she's like, I'm done. And she picks up her snowboard and just starts walking down the mountain. And I was like, are you joking? You're done? And she's like, it's too hard. I'm done. And I was like, could, what, can I keep going? And she's like, you can do what you want, which guys, you know what that means? You can't do what you want. And so we walked down the mountain holding the devices that are made for fun to get you down the mountain much quicker, easier, and way more fun. No, we held those and walked down the mountain. The same thing. We want to quit when it's difficult. Don't quit. These, are, these things aren't always easy. They aren't always comfortable. They're not designed to be so, but they are a means of the grace of God to grow us in an intimacy with him. So let me conclude with this. There are two things that I want you to think about this week as we go on. We didn't do a spiritual discipline, so I can't say focus on the word, focus on this or whatever. We'll talk about that. But here's two things that spiritual disciplines will require of you. I want you to think about this week. Surrender and support. You will immediately, as we start talking about spiritual disciplines, run into things that will come in conflict with what you want. And you have to ask yourself, am I ready to give up what I want for this means of grace that God has given me. 
So this week, ask the Lord that. Evaluate your life and say, Lord, is there anything here that might come in conflict, my time, my money, whatever it is, my relationships, that might come in conflict with what you want me to do? Is there anything that I'm not willing to surrender? Help me do that. The second thing is support. It's gonna be difficult. It's difficult to follow the Lord because we have this fleshiness that's always at, at war with us. You need help. You need help. So, so ask yourself this, if, I, if next week I hear something, I know what the Lord wants me to do and it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard for me, who can help you? Who are you gonna go to to talk to about it? Who are you gonna go to for prayer about it? If you don't have anybody, ask the Lord to bring that person to you. Ask the Lord to bring that, that person to your mind. He created us for community. He created us for support. So figure those two things out this week. Ask the Lord, Lord, am I ready to surrender everything? Is there something that I'm holding onto too tight? And ask the Lord, do I have support? Who out there will I go to to walk with? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the means of grace you provided for us to be able to experience uh, your transformative power and grace in our lives. Thank you so much. Lord, I am fully expectant that over the next couple of months, you're going to transform lives. You're gonna take people in this room from a a simmer of joy to a just all out, mind blowing, full blast joy in you that they never knew was possible. You're gonna take people in this room who are, who are in bondage to things that they've just probably given up on. They said, I'm never getting out of this. And you're gonna free them for the first time. Lord, you're gonna take people in this room who know you by name only but don't know your heart and you're gonna reveal yourself to them and it's gonna change them forever. God, we thank you for what you're going to do. Would you help us? Would you reveal to us the things in our lives that we need to let go of? Lord, would you, would you help us um, um, shore up one another? Would you help us find one another to, to support as we try to implement these spiritual disciplines. We try to put ourselves on the path of grace. Lord, help us with those things. And Lord, for those in this room who, um, as we talked about all these things, like, Lord, their hearts are stirred up. Like, they want to follow you. They want to know you. They know they've been walking their own way. They've been living their own way. That's what 2014 was all about. It was all about them. And they want to make 2015 all about you. They need to be forgiven. They need to be your child. God, would you give them the courage to give uh, their life to you right now, to right where they are, to say that to you, to say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. I believe in your power. God, give me a new start. Give me a fresh start. Give me a new life. Make me your child. God, give them the courage to turn over their life to you this morning knowing with full confidence that you'll accept them and you'll hold on to them from now on into forever. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna stand and sing and respond to the Lord. Um, so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Do what the Lord's calling you to do. I'll be right here. Brother John will be right here. If you need to come talk with us or pray with us, if today was your fresh start with the Lord, you come pray with us. We wanna talk to you about what's next. I wanna introduce you to, to, uh, to, to the Lord Jesus in a new way this morning. We wanna pray with you. But you do what the Lord's calling you to do in this time. Let's sing.